0: Just a quick note before we get started with the program, I wanted to let you know that on Monday, the 17th of June, this coming Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern, we'll be doing one of our live courses, our webinars. This will be with Peter Robbins, and he'll be talking to us about the UFO abduction Phenomena, And I've got to tell you, the course that we did last month on why we should take UFOs seriously, it was one of the best uh, courses we've had so far. That one's uh, archived over at jimherald.net. You can watch it. I hope you'll be able to join us live on Monday evening, 10 p.m. Eastern. I know that time is convenient for some. For others, it's not as convenient uh, since we can only pick one time and just try to work and find the best time that we can. And if you can attend the the real bonus there is being able to ask Peter live questions and he's very generous with his time. It's scheduled for an hour, but uh, last time I think we took it at least at least 30 minutes longer than that because he had a lot of questions uh, from the from the audience. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Check it out. go over to jimherald.net and we hope that you're able to join us to talk about the UFO abduction phenomenon with Peter Robbins. Now on to the show. Ghosts, have they become a cliché, or can we once again examine this phenomena seriously? After all, isn't it really our own afterlife we're curious about? Let's delve a little deeper on Jim Harold's Ghost Insight. Welcome to Ghost Insight. I am Jim Harold and so glad to be with you once again. I'm really enjoying this show where we're really getting down to the nitty-gritty with ghosts. And we have a great person to do that with us today. It is Rich Newman. He is our guest. His new book is Devil in the Delta, A Ghost Hunter's Most Terrifying Case to Date. A little bit about Rich before we get started. He's been investigating the paranormal for about 10 years, or for over 10 years. He's a founder of the group Paranormal Inc. He is also a filmmaker whose first feature film, a documentary called Ghosts of War, uh, was released, uh, I guess, a couple of years ago. His articles have appeared in Haunted Times and Paranormal Underground. You can learn more about his investigations at his website, which I believe is paranormalincorporated.com. Rich Newman, welcome to the program.
1: Hi, how's it going?
0: Very good. Well, we're glad to have you on board. Now, I, I know that um, in recent years, we've been doing this show, or not this show, but podcasts on the paranormal for about eight years. But uh, even for me, having started maybe a little bit later than, than you did, people would say last year, too, oh, man, you're so smart to do these shows uh, because of the big fad in the paranormal. Uh, but uh, first of all, I said, "Well, I've been interested in the paranormal since I was a little kid watching In Search of, before the big fad was around." And secondly, I started eight years ago before all these ghost hunter shows um, hit. So, so in your case, you definitely started before these shows. What inspired you to decide to start investigating the paranormal?
1: Well, definitely, I'm I'm kind of like in the same boat you are. I'm I'm a little bit old school and. At the risk of dating myself, it would probably be the, the same thing. TV shows when I was really young, like sightings and right. unexplained mysteries. Yep. Uh, I used to just love tuning into those programs and, and watching the ghost, uh, ghost segments versus say you know the UFO and the uh, crypto stuff. But um, and then just getting out there and exploring some of the urban legends in the area, and you know, and back in those days, we really didn't have anything but those shows to kind of say, okay, well, look, there's a guy on there. He's using some sort of a recording device. Maybe we should take a, an audio recorder. And you know, we really didn't have like, you know, such a easy access to EMS detectors and you know, thermal re- digital recorders and uh, digital thermometers and things of that nature. So it was, it, you know, I'm in the same boat you are. I'm kind of old school, and uh, I was happy, you know, to switch from analog to digital. But <laughs> it definitely was TV shows that got me in the uh, paranormal bandwagon.
0: So let's talk a little bit about this investigation, the subject of your book, um, An Investigation at a Double Wide Trailer Deep in the Mississippi Delta. How did you find out about this place?
1: Uh, Some friends of mine have a group uh, in Mississippi, and they called me on a Friday night and said that we have this particularly hairy case, and we just would like you to come down and, and give us your opinion of what's going on here and they gave me just a basic rundown of what was happening there, and it sounded mostly like your usual, you know, typical haunted activity, with the exception of a young male tenant in the trailer that was actually saying that he was becoming possessed by one of the entities that was there.
0: So you decided to investigate. Was it just you, or was there a, a, a full team with you?
1: Well, in, in the first, it was just me, because it was a spur of the moment. They wanted me down immediately, and my partner, he lives in Missouri, so and I live in Memphis. So it was a bit uh, too spur of the moment for him to drive about 14 hours uh, to get down there. Uh, so I went initially by myself, but I did have 13 was there, and uh, they had just been visited by a small team from Florida who also claimed that they saw the, the boy come under possession and uh, some of the activity that was happening in the house. So there was at least... Three different paranormal groups, including myself, over one weekend, who who was actually experiencing activity at this particular location.
0: And what what kind of things did uh, you know? We we know that there was it seemed to be more uh, nefarious. Uh, when you're investigating, what percentage of things when you, when you do find some kind of activity? What's the breakdown of how many tend to be just maybe random activity but doesn't seem to be in any way uh malevolent and then and then what percentage like boy, there's something here and that really doesn't like us
1: well i i, I tend to side on the uh, on the side that all of it's not malevolent you know on very rare occasion is something actually perceived as being malevolent um I think it's really context. I mean, when you go into a situation like this where, you know, utensils are flying across the room, the walls are rumbling and shaking, um, you know, there were weird smells, you know, they could smell rotten eggs and that sort of thing. There were just a lot of things here that, you know, when you sort of Google them, you know, if you're the layman and you Google those things, you would bring up things like demonic infestation and things of that nature. And that sets off alarms, you know, for a lot of people. Right. And what I usually try to do immediately is to sort of, ground them back, you know, look, this is just activity. There are hauntings where these things happen. It's just your perception. You know, if a door slams in your face, you could interpret that as, oh, it's angry at me. It's slamming a door in my face. But how about it just wants to talk to you, and this is how it's getting your attention. Right. So I really, I, I try to kind of go in immediately and, and sort of try to diffuse the idea that something uh, horrible's happening there because, you know, these people have to live in this house. And uh, I really wanted to at least feel comfortable with what's happening there.
0: Of course. So, uh, once you got into this case, what kind of things did you start to see with your own eyes and pick up on your own instruments?
1: Well, immediately, and I, and I, this is actually one of the clips that's on the on the website um, that I put on there. We had just started the vigil, which, excuse me, <laughs> got a little bit of a cold too. <laughs> I know you're in the same boat I am.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, immediately we we set up to do a vigil just so I could kind of get a feel for the place, and uh, I think one of the very first EVP questions I asked was, you know, you know, is there anyone here in the trailer, that sort of thing, and you know, and you, you sort of expect, you know, well, you know, maybe I'm getting some EVPs here, you know, maybe I'm not, you know, and on the rare occasion, you are blessed with a disembodied voice, but in this case, what we got was the actual trailer erupting in a uh, loud rumble that actually shook the walls in the room that I was sitting in. Um, a pretty dramatic uh, display of power, actually. Um, so I, I kind of, it was kind of nice to get that early on because I immediately, you know, realized, okay, this is the real deal. Uh, I'm really going to bear down on this even more than usual and pay attention to what's happening around me.
0: Yeah, let's take a listen. This is um, uh, the rumble in the trailer, and we're going to play it a couple times, and then we're going to let people. Um we're going to let uh, uh, Rich talk about what it is that he experiences and, and, again, his thoughts. Here it is. We'll play it twice.
1: How long have you been here in this house? What was that? How long have you been here in this house?
0: Now, you made clear to me when we were talking before the program that that, that growl or whatever you want to call it, you, you ask, how long have you been in this house? And there's like a kind of thing. Now, yeah. you're clear to say that was not an EVP in the sense. Uh, many times with the EVP, you won't hear it at the time. You'll hear it on playback. But you audibly heard that. Right there in real time, didn't you?
1: Absolutely. I, I was myself and one of the members of the Mississippi group sitting in the same room, and not only did we hear it, we felt it. It actually shook the walls. Wow! Um, <laughs> I mean, you actually, you know, there was actually art on the walls that that you know, jittered, <laughs> and uh, it was pretty dramatic. And I mean, my first instinct was, okay, what you know, what's this, you know? And uh, we immediately, two of the members crawled. On, you know, this is a trailer that's up on. Uh, blocks so immediately two members of their team crawled under the trailer to look you know if it water pipes if anything was banging around which you know i mean like i say, if you were there at the time you realize as loud as it was there was no water pipe um and you know we did every attempt that we could even to debunk it at the moment and uh no it was it was a pretty dramatic experience and it uh it kicked off the evening well
0: (laughs) yeah and i I just want to play that one more time because it's such a neat clip here goes
1: how long
0: have you been here in this house? was that? <laughs> I gotta tell you, yeah. that is spooky. Now, another thing that is kind of frightening to me when I hear EVP is when people uh, hear a voice but they say there's nobody that matches the description. Now, uh, here I believe it's EVP2. Tell us a little bit about that one, because it didn't fit the profile of who was in the room at the time.
1: Right. Uh, Well, interestingly, you know, a lot of the things, this is one of the reasons I thought this made a good book to write for ghost hunters. A lot of the times when we go and investigate uh, private cases and go into their homes, you'll hear sort of like dramatic tales And in the end, if they are haunted, they're usually a lot more basic than than what they're usually given to be. In this case, the client was telling us that she felt like there were three spirits in this house. One was her ex-husband, who she felt like was watching over her kids. One was an angry black man named John, which would end up being the most interesting part of uh, researching the background of this case. And the third was that of a little girl named Emily, that one of her daughters had been seeing for a few years, and so when we did the investigation, you know, we had that information. Uh, once we cleared out the house, meaning we got the kids out of the house, uh, we literally I will not do investigations with kids in the house because I don't want to scar their psyche in any way if something dramatic happens. Right. Uh, yes, there were no kids in the house, so it was interesting that as we did the first investigation and I got back and reviewed that audio, that we actually got clips of a young girl, EVPs, and uh, clips of what sounded like an angry man. Now, you know, of course, I can't tell if if it's a black man, but uh, definitely got a male voice, definitely got a young female voice. And clip number two is an example of one of the EVPs of the young girl that we caught on audio. And again, like you're talking about context, you know, there were no young girls in the house, uh, just the members of the paranormal group who are all adults.
0: We'll take a listen and you'll hear it. Right there was. Let's play that one more time. There she is making, making a sound, making her presence known. Now you said one of the more interesting parts of the discussion was trying to find this background of this mysterious man, John. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you found out about him.
1: Well, the. As the case progressed, as I went down several times, what I came to find out, and I'll be speaking with anonymous names, obviously, here, um, uh, the anonymous name in the book being Joanne Martin. She was the owner of, of the home. As I went down, and I guess I guess you could say she got more comfortable with me, more details came out. And one of the things I found out was that uh, this was a very racially divided area of the state of Mississippi, especially during you know the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Mm-hmm. And... She told me a tale of her grandfather who had lynched, essentially, a local black man along with his brother on the property. And there were several different stories about it. I mean, it was one of those sort of uh, family history kind of things. Everyone knew about it. Everyone knew that that this had happened. And there were a couple of different versions of what had happened to this poor gentleman. Uh, You know, one that he had been killed in the slaughter shed and then buried out on the property somewhere. There were, you know... There were different versions that he had come onto the property trying to steal, and they went out and shot him and killed him. Um, and then uh, she, she, the final version that she actually told me was that he had come over because someone had been sick in his family. He wanted to use their phone, and they had the only phone in the area, and uh, they killed him. So, and they felt, she felt like, and maybe it's just the guilt of living with this over the years or knowing about this incident. Uh, she felt like that he was there, that this was an angry spirit and he was haunting the property. And and it was one of those things that when I talked to the local law enforcement about it, because, I mean, you know, you're telling me about a murder that happened, a possible murder that happened in recent history. Uh, you know, they, they kind of just gave me, you know, they didn't know this person in particular, but reconfirmed that the adjacent forest had been a really popular place uh, for a lot of bad things back in, in the turn of the century that a lot of people are embarrassed about down there now.
0: And, uh, and uh, talking about uh, this story, you also apparently put equipment in the house when nobody was there uh, to just see what would be picked up. And you had a couple of EVPs while the, uh, while the house was empty. And uh, I'm going to play EVP 5 and let people take a listen to that one. And then I'll play EVP-6 and let people listen to that one. Now, on the first one, Rich, I heard a a moan of some type and a knock, but there was nobody in uh, in the house. So what was up with that?
1: Uh, well, this was part, another part of the routine that I like to work into an investigation, which is basically to get everyone out of the house and just see if uh, activity is still happening with no one there. Because a lot of times it's sort of an easy way to identify if maybe one of the people in the house is sort of the catalyst for what's happening. So when it came time, uh, after I had done my initial interviews and everything with everyone, before we even kicked off the investigation where I heard the rumble, I invited everyone to go out to dinner. We set up some audio recorders and I just while we were out for about forty five minutes to an hour, I just got a lot of you know, supposedly empty audio in this house, um, from about five different locations and when I got back and reviewed it in the evening, uh while we were gone, there was a whole series of about ten minutes long where there was just these really strange thumps, bangs, male moans, uh Almost the impression that there was the, that the male spirit had gotten a little bit angry that we had left, <laughs> uh, and there are quite a few of those, even more than what's on our website.
0: Yeah, the and the EVP six was the 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 bang and and, and strange movement and uh, that could be picked up. And the thing was, is nobody was ostensibly there. Now, um, it, coming a, a, and going through this investigation, while you were in the middle of it, were you convinced that this was? Uh, something that was real or did you think that possibly it was a hoax?
1: Well, again, it was nice getting that rumble right off the bat because it, it, for me, it sort of propelled this into the real world quick. Um, the real challenge for me was bringing it down to earth for everyone else because I was sort of working in an environment where there were, there was obvious drug use in the house and, um, there were, I was surrounded by a family who was, on one hand, semi-terrified that all these things were happening in the house, but on the other hand, what I would uncover you know, were dabbling with Ouija boards, playing with occult things, buying uh, various incenses that were geared towards possession and exorcism. Um, they, you know, they were basically doing things that would almost ramp up the activity, while at the same time saying they were afraid of the activity. Right, uh, and at the same time, they were also all convinced that this, you know, that, that in addition to these three spirits that I've already talked about, that there was a demonic, you know, presence in the house, uh, and this manifested at one point. Just to give you an idea of just how kind of off the wall this was, uh, I had a conversation later the same the first evening I was there. The activity had sort of come to a lull, and everyone was outside, you know, getting a coke, having a smoke, that sort of thing, and. The lady came up to me, Joanne Martin came up to me and said, well, I don't really understand, you know, why the activity isn't even more than it is right now, you know, because the devil's watching us right now. And I said, the devil's huh. watching us right now. <laughs> she said, yes, he's watching us right now. He's right there. And She points at the wall and I turned around and there was a moth on the wall. Huh. And she literally thought the devil was the moth
0: watching us. Oh wow, wow! So, so th- there was uh, there was reason to think. You know, it, it kind of sounds like, on one hand, it seemed like there was a lot of good evidence. Uh, on the other hand, it seemed like maybe you had some people that had some issues that were maybe exaggerating things or misinterpreting things because of whatever personal reasons.
1: All of the above. You got it. That's exactly, and I, and that was the real challenge, and and why I thought this case really needed to be put into a book because I think there's a lot of misconception with ghost hunters uh, that, you know, it's all fun things like, you know, you go to a hotel and, you know, you go to the popular haunted ballroom and you have, you know, some thrills and, you know, and all that's fun. But a lot of times when you go to these private cases, you know, this is what you're dealing with. You're dealing with, you know, on one hand, uh, trying to almost ground people and realize, look, you know, this is just... You know, I know you may think the devil's here. You may think this is going on, this is going on. But I've seen this activity a hundred times. It still all falls under the heading of it could just be a haunting. And you're just battling that constantly and, and really just trying to get them down to the basics, you know.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So at the end of the day, on this particular case, did you come away with the feeling that this represented some kind of real manifestation, or did you think it was all their imagination?
1: No, I believe it was actually haunted. Uh, again, I, got, I came away with enough evidence, enough personal experiences, and there was enough real history you know, of the land and the violence that had happened there and the people who had died in that area. And just and even the other, a lot of the other groups who have stayed in touch with me with their investigations there who have come away with a lot of, uh, you know, i probably say at this point we have between the three groups, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about 100 EVPs of the young female, um, somewhere around 50 or 60 of, the, of a male voice. Uh, and the, there was also personal experiences that were, you know, related by investigators and the family members where they would actually see some of these spirits. Uh, in one case, the young girl, one of the young girls who were living in the household, had a sleepover. She had, you know, four or five of her friends all in the same room, and all of them collectively saw the, the young girl spirit looking at them from through the window from outside. Uh, and all of them screamed and freaked out and ran out of the room and that sort of thing. And, of course, the, the young girl who lived there, you know, to her, this was just, you know, another day at the Crazy Land. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, um, the, the the thing that, that I would um, like to ask you about, and I, I think you kind of talked about, people out there who maybe. I've seen the ghost hunters, uh, different ghost hunting shows on TV, and say, yeah, I want to go out and do that. And not that there's anything wrong with it. You do that, and, and and other folks do that, although you probably take it a lot more seriously and have a lot more precautions and so forth in, in place. But for those prospective ghost hunters out there, what would be kind of your... Advice, word of warning, word of wisdom, call it what you will. What would you say to them about going out in the field and, you know, trying to chase these things? Because as uh, Michelle Belanger from uh, Paranormal State uh, was uh, teaching a course uh, with our Plus Club, and she said something to the effect either on a podcast or on that. I can't remember. I me mean, sometimes when you look into the abyss, it looks back. Uh, what, what what are your thoughts for people out there listening? I haven't been on a ghost hunt yet. It sounds cool. I want to do it. What would you say to
1: them? Well, I'd say you need to decide. All ghost hunters at some point sort of have to decide if they want to stay casual, social ghost hunter or if they want to be sort of a serious ghost hunter that's going to take on uh, private cases. And I think if, if you're getting into ghost hunting because you know, like I did early on when we'd go to my, you know, urban legends and watch sightings and that sort of thing. If you're doing it because, you know, you like the idea of the thrill of of capturing some ghost evidence and you want to go to some popular haunted places and things, that's cool. I mean, I I love that stuff myself. But uh, just realize that maybe you should think twice about, you know, actually, you know, on your webpage saying, you know, well, we do private cases, you know, contact us. Because, I think what really differentiates the two different kinds of groups is that, you know, when you go to these private places, you know, at the end of the day, you're not walking out and saying, okay, well, we got our evidence. Cool. See you later. You know, these people are going to be like, what are you going to do about this? You know, uh, I need some resolution here. You know, what's going on here? What are you going to do about it? Uh, Are you coming back? You know, several times, do you have the time to invest in several trips here all in the near future? Um, And I think if you could just sort of just realize that that's the case and, you know, say, okay, well, we're casual fun ghost hunters, so we're just going to stay away from that stuff. I think that you do yourself a great service there. And as far as uh, sort of some pitfalls of getting into the paranormal, I I think, you know, don't be so obsessed with uh, having 50 people in your group. I see all these, you know, young groups that come to some of our ghost hunting classes and things, and they're like, we have 98 members
0: (laughs) <laughs> it's
1: like, you seriously go to a haunted location with 98 people? I mean, you can't really, I mean, I, I I go with, our group is three people. And if there's people who are present, you know, the owners and that sort of thing, sometimes I struggle to pick out, you know, is that one of our voices or is that one of the, I can't imagine going into an investigation with, you know, 30, 40 people tramping around and talking. And I can't get three people to shut up at the same time half the time. <laughs> so I, I I just think, you know, you know, Get your, you know, some people that you trust together. Keep a small group. Keep it fun. And if you decide to move to that next level, just realize, you know, that you're going to have to be answering to a client, and you're going to have to, you know, be, able to be prepared to provide provide some resolution for those people.
0: Makes a lot of sense to me. Well, uh, Rich, where can people find your book? Find more information about your group. I also know that uh, you recently started a podcast. Where can folks find all of that? <laughs>
1: Well, all of it can be found on the website, all spelled out, paranormalincorporated.com. Uh, the podcast is Paranormal Inc. Podcast. It is it is on iTunes, though for some reason our latest episodes haven't appeared there in a couple of days. I'm going to try to fix that. But um, uh, all that can be gotten through our website. You can see the podcast there, the books that I've written, as well as uh, read a lot of our case files and EBPs. I think we actually just hit our millionth uh, web visitor this week. Great. Uh and uh, I think we have now on there somewhere in the neighborhood of about 600 EVPs that can actually be listened to from various cases and things. So a lot of content. You can spend a lot of time there checking out a lot of the ghost hunting stuff.
0: Well, it sounds great. Looking forward to reading the book and listening to more of those great EVPs. Rich Newman, thank you for jo- joining us on Ghost Insight.
1: Thank you. Anytime.
0: And thank you for tuning in to Ghost Insight. We certainly enjoyed it. I hope that you did. And I hope you'll continue to listen. And don't forget, on Monday evening at 10 p.m., if you're also into UFOs, we have researcher par excellence, author Peter Robbins. He was with us last month for a great UFO seminar that you'll find archived over at jimherald.net. But this week, it'll be 10 p.m. Eastern, and we'll talk about the alien abduction phenomena. Fascinating stuff. Looking forward to it. You can ask Peter, your questions if you're on live with him, so be sure to go over to net and sign up. We will talk to you next time on Ghost Insight. Stay spooky, everyone. Bye-bye.